On your marks, get set! That's what she said, episode 28, Fun Run. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! (laughs) Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go Welcome to episode 28 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the premiere episode of season 4, entitled Fun Run Parts 1 and 2, which originally aired Thursday, September 27th, 2007. We're cursed. Cursed, I tells you. When a triumvirate of tragedies torment the Scranton crew, Michael looks for a way to break the curse. His solution? A rabies awareness fun run, Natch. Elsewhere, a new relationship blooms while another teeters on the brink. What's a farm boy to do? Will Michael digest that fettuccine Alfredo? Will Pam get a good deal on a light fixture? Will Sprinkles get into cat heaven? And for the love of God, won't somebody think of the rabid? Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why did you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? All right, man, here we are, first episode, season four. Ah, it's been about four months since I've heard that theme song there for the podcast. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, joining me here again... This week is our traveling salesman, Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, really good. I enjoy doing the podcast, but all I want to do is sit back and watch the direct TV I just hooked up. <laughs> oh, yes. Why is that? <laughs> well, that's because I've been watching the replay on NBC.com, and they keep running these ads over and over again, and, <laughs> you know, they say about repetition. Oh, man. Well, you're just the tool of the advertisers, my friend. That's why I buy my episode legally from some source. You can be sure of that. Absolutely. In any case, well, here we are again. Like I said, it's been four long months since the job. And uh, here we are, season four premiere, Fun Run, parts one and two. Uh, A lot of pressure kind of kicking it off here with a full hour a lot of heavy lifting to do here right off the top of the season, and I'll just kind of throw it out there for you. Kevin, what did you think of the premiere? Well, I think you're right. that There was a lot of pressure on this episode. I think the producers and the writers and everyone did a really great job on this. Set our expectations properly about what's going to happen, but also threw us some, some surprises that I think were really welcome. And I just enjoyed this episode a lot. It's an hour episode, but it's really two parts that are very loosely tied. It's almost like two different shows that they just happened to run together because they had an hour slot to fill. <laughs> yeah, that that is correct. And I'll come out and also say that I, I did really enjoy this episode. Uh, as a premiere, I definitely enjoyed it much, much more than than Gay Witch Hunt last season. Now, Gay Witch Hunt, I think, you know, had, of course, probably one of the biggest laugh moments uh, of the season, but for the rest of the episode, I, I thought it was a little slow going, a little, little weak getting up to that point. But fun run, just like right off the bat, and I don't know if it was because I was just so happy to see a new episode or whatever, but um, 
first 10 minutes, I just was laughing out loud at a lot of different things. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's ever in the history of the series been a cold open that has quite had the same impact, uh, no pun intended, as this episode <laughs> did. I mean, it's just... And you're right. You know, the big thing about this episode is that they set up so many different dangling plot lines in the job that they really had to come together. I mean, they had to deal with the Jan-Michael plot line. They had to deal with the Karen and Jim and Pam plot line. Um, they had to deal with... Um, a little bit of Ryan. There was a lot of speculation oh. about what exactly his role would be, and you got a sense of that already. Right. And so, and of course, with the Dwight and Angela plot line in this episode, we've set them on a course for this season as well. So right. lots of things that are going on, for Which sure. It's kind of interesting because it's sort of like the exact opposite of last season. So it's kind of like... You know, season three was sort of the rise of Duangela, and now season four perhaps is the decline and fall of uh, of our favorite two crazy kids from last season. I know I definitely last season uh, latched on to Dwight and uh, and Angela as much more kind of I don't know how to say this um, maybe sympathetic characters last season. I really kind of rooted for them to uh, to find a little happiness in their own crazy way. Well, but, I guess that's <laughs> over now. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of early. One of them. It's kind of early to say. I mean, we still have uh, 28 episode segments or whatever left this season, but, but yeah, it's not looking too good for our uh, friend Dwight here, right off the top. But any particular highlights of the show that you want to talk about here? Well, that the whole cold open was it was a real big highlight, and I really liked the whole setup with the jam relationship and with Kevin thinking that they're together, but then denying it. I think that that really, all the fans were freaking out, and then when it, at the end it looked like they weren't together, and then that slam, like, ah, gotcha. And uh, that was just just a great, would have been a great ending to the episode had it been a single episode. And then, of course, the cameraman becoming an integral part of the show and, and confronting Jim and Pam about uh, what's going on, I think, was just clever and exciting. All right, so you, uh, I was going to ask you this before, because we hadn't seen, uh, the cameraman on the show has not been an active character since, man, since season two, I don't think. Uh, the email surveillance, we had a lot of throwbacks to email surveillance in this episode. We had Pam having the cameraman spy on uh, Dwight and Angela, and he came up and like, you know, pointed her over to, to Angela. She was eating the candy bar and uh, and that kind of thing. And we also had... Uh, <laughs> the same IT guy, coincidentally or not, popping up in this same episode as well. And uh, that was one thing, like I said, I wanted to ask you about whether you uh, were glad to see that kind of active cameraman take part in the show. Because I, I liked it in email surveillance. I sort of liked it then, and I kind of liked that. I like the conceit that it is a documentary, but the show has really played off on that. They haven't really talked about that at all uh, for a season and a half. And so it was a little... Maybe a little bit jarring, I guess. Yeah, well, I remember a certain podcast host who was very skeptical about whether the two of these two could get together and not have it turn into a moonlighting-style disaster. I think that this is the way that they're going to be able to kind of make this relationship uh, maybe not be so obvious, uh, that they still got to hide and maybe play off each other more in terms of doing little tricks and, and scams on other people. I think it's going to be a really interesting way for them for us as the viewers to be able to see what's going on without the other people in the office knowing. And, and they, they they had to confront them so that it would be obvious so that when they did their talking heads and things, 
we could get into the relationship a little bit more, but um, the rest of the people in the office wouldn't. Right, I think that's a good point because yeah, if uh, if if they would have kept up for another like three or four episodes, the whole oh I'm going to the flea market on Sunday, <laughs> all that kind of crap, and and the oh I'm single, do you know anyone? Kind of talking heads. Yeah, it would have been a little old. I think we even got to that point last season where Pam was constantly denying her feelings in those. That's exactly heads. the problem with last season. That's exactly why this is so great. And so yeah. Uh, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm glad that uh, we found out. And I agree with you that, that, that uh, if that would have been the ending of the episode, uh, it would have been a perfect, you know, just, I could just hear the fanboys squealing with glee, and then they'd have had seven days to speculate and, and wonder about what was going to happen. But fortunately or unfortunately, we got the you know second half of the episode just immediately after the break. So we did kind of lose a little bit of that impact, but... Uh, you know, one of the things, though, I kind of wanted to mention this is that I thought it almost seemed to me like this episode, there there really wasn't that much different about the way that they interacted with each other as in any other Office episode. Because you could almost have this exact same script, exact same dialogue and everything else pre the kiss, Jim and Pam, uh, them hanging out, them walking together, you know, buying the lamp, all that stuff together. That still could have been, you know, straight out of season two or um, or anything Pretty else. Pretty much. I, you know, a lot of the stuff in the office, but there was some during the run where I could sort of sense, and maybe it was just a perception because I know what's going on, but I got a sense there was a little bit more of a deeper friendship going on there. And I don't know, maybe I'm projecting, but <laughs> I, I, as a general rule, I guess I think you're probably right. But And you know what? This is a welcome return because after season three and the strained Jim and Pam relationship through the entire season. I'm happy to have them back on par with that. Oh man, uh, well, playing pranks on each on the other people in the office. Great. Well, speaking of that, speaking of the Jim and Pam thing, um, I, I saw a lot of grumblings on the blog page about the uh, appearance in this episode by Miss Filippelli. Uh, what did you What did you think about that uh, the scene there with Karen in the in the office? Well, it was interesting that the opening they they kind of it was almost like the camera crew hadn't been around during the whole summer and they were just coming back. And so there was just a quick thing with, with um, Michael saying what was going on and then the quick reveal of what happened with Karen. That was okay. I, obviously, I'd like to see some more of Karen, um, maybe some more real closure in an actual acting scene with Jim or, or Pam or something. But, uh, you know, I think it was it was well enough to just, okay, here's what happened. We're done with it. Now we're moving on. I, I think it was okay. Rather than have it go on for a couple or three episodes. Right. Well, you talked about that last week as far as that summer preview vacation clip kind of thing that um, that you're hoping to get away from the whole drama and just kind of move straight into the Jim Pam thing. And I think that's what they did. Uh, I mean, we really don't need much more of an explanation. At least I don't anyway. That works for me. She she was mad. She quit. And bye, Karen. Now let's move on to uh, to what everyone really wants. And Man, I, I kind of feel sorry for those people who still have their Team Karen sweatpants or whatever from last year. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Fletcher's <laughs> item. <laughs> ah, well, well. Anyway, let's uh, let's go ahead and just kind of dive in into the episode here. Um, as you said, I mean, the opening, the cold open, really Michael kind of explaining the situation. You know what's been going on, catching us up a little bit. Um, <laughs> Uh, again, the hilarious kind of, and it's it's sad as well. I mean, it's kind of depressing. Michael and his, um, you know, Jan made me breakfast this morning. <laughs> well, she bought the milk anyway. 
<laughs> and then we have that trailing shot into the bedroom where she's just slumped over in this the most undignified position possible. You know, she won't be up for a couple more hours. A couple more hours. <laughs> so, I, you know, Michael's domestic bliss, you can just sort of see the pain in the back of his eye. In any case, well, let's uh, just let Michael kind of explain and set up the first half of the episode here. This is going to be a very good year. Jan is at home. Jim is back. My protege, Ryan, is a corporate. Um, Andy and Dwight are rocking the sales team. I feel very blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, I have some bad news. Meredith was hit by a car. What? Oh, yeah. It happened this morning in the parking lot. I took her to the hospital. And the doctors tried to save her life. They did the best that they could, and she is going to be okay. What is wrong with you? Why did you have to phrase it like that? She has a slight pelvical fracture. Thank God you were there. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just off the top. You know, the whole thing is that he realizes now that uh, he's done something to make the other people in the office not like him. I don't know. Is that such a bad thing to run over one of your employees? Well, like like you said, you know, you don't know. Was she did she jump in front of the car on purpose? For, you know, was it a, a scam or something? I mean, you yeah, know. she probably broke her pelvis at home and just came in to claim the workman's comp, right? I know. Uh, I mean, that's the whole thing. And the whole setup of the office here, the whole reason why Michael is so crazy is, again, just going back to the thing that we just always said week after week is that desire to be liked. And sort of the ultimate no-no, I guess, to being liked is to sort of run over any of your employees, and they slowly, like, drag it out of him, like, um, well, the reason I was there so quickly is because I was in the car that hit her. <laughs> oh, well, who was driving? <laughs> and he gets this oh, kind of, Michael. yeah, sheepish yeah, look on his face. That was a great look, and then the, <laughs> oh, Michael, from Pam is awesome. <laughs> right off the top, I mean, it's, like you said, it started things with a bang, and for the first five or ten minutes of the episode, it just did not let up. Now, Again, big laughs and then even bigger laughs here when Dwight tries to console Michael. It's only Meredith. Yeah, it's only Meredith, thank God. But did you see the way they looked at me? Like I was a murderer or something. Hey, why did you do it? It was an accident. Was she talking back? No. She got sick of that face. Did she owe you money? Uh-oh. Is this downsizing? Did she spurn your advances? I saw that clip. I'm telling you, I was trying not to laugh during the time we played that clip. Oh, man. Is this downsizing? <laughs> Having Dwight in my head was just scary. <laughs> uh, this was perfect. What I was saying, you know, I, I, uh, after having sometimes last season, you know, had kind of some dud episodes, I was just so happy to have these just one after another. You know, just Rain Wilson delivering those lines. Was she talking back? She spread your advances. Oh, it's just downsizing. <laughs> just a series of one layers of each one better than the rest. And it is only Meredith, remember. <laughs> At least it's not one of the popular people. If you've seen the deleted scenes, I have these to play later on. There's actually a scene in there then where Michael basically accuses Meredith of being drunk. And uh, everyone's a little further disgusted by that. Uh, but we'll kind of see the payoff of that when I play that a little bit later. Well, so Michael's not off to a good day here on his first day of filming the new season. And, um, well, what's been going on with Ryan? Now, we talked about that before. I mean, last season, I mean, there were some people that just, you know, oh, Ryan didn't really get the job. It was all a big psych out. Uh, well, I think we can put those fears to rest, as Michael will explain. So Ryan got promoted to corporate. 
where he is a little fish in a big pond. Whereas back here in Scranton, I am still top dog. So who is the real boss, the dog or a fish? So I need a little treat for the gang, something to win their affections back. Back? I ran down Meredith in my car. Oh, did you do this on purpose? No, I was being negligent. But she will be Did often... this happen on company property? Yes. It was okay. on company property with company property. So double jeopardy. We are fine. I don't I don't think you understand how jeopardy works. Oh, right. I'm sorry. What is we're fine? <sighs> I don't know. It's again, it's almost borderlines just a little too stupid, but solid roll. Uh, very, very funny stuff there. I really like that. Now, one of the things I, I mentioned to you before we started recording the show is that a lot of people were kind of hoping for more Ryan in this episode, and I know that next episode is all about Ryan. It's called Dunder Mifflin Infinity. It's all about his big new plan on how to move the company in the future. So we're going to be getting tons and tons of Ryan next week. But I was a little kind of disappointed, I guess, perhaps at the phone call dialogue here. You know, you could just... I mean, literally, you could have Melora Hardin as Jan reading those same lines, and it would have played out really exactly the same way. I think you're right about that, although it is nice to see Ryan taking his role so seriously and <laughs> jumping right in there, oh, Michael, what did you do, and all this kind of thing. But I, for the people who are saying, oh, I expected to see a lot more Ryan, I don't know where you would have any of those expectations, and we haven't seen him hardly at all since basically season one, except for in a couple episodes a season. Other than that, he gets, you know, less lines than Creed does most of the time. Not really distinguishing himself too much in this episode, but, you know, why, and this is another question maybe, like, why is Ryan so tolerant of Michael? I think he's just biding his time until Michael does something really bad and then he can fire him or something like that. I mean, you, you get a promoted to this new job, you don't fire... Uh, this guy who supposedly saved the branch or whatever, you know, the first month when you're on the new job in, you know, New York, yeah. you have to build up a case, right? I suppose, but I mean, Ryan, you know, he has all the inside dirt on on what was really going on back in the office, so you'd think that uh, you'd think that he'd have a much shorter fuse with uh, with Michael on the phone. I guess that was I was a little, you know, interested to see maybe how that's going to change or how that might play out a little bit differently. So again, I mean, Michael just, he hits Meredith with his car and it somehow then turns to being all about him, feeling sorry for himself, feeling defensive, feeling like people are not liking him anymore. And well, you know, he is only human, as Michael will explain. So we'll just all go down there together at lunch. I was thinking that Good we work, Pam. But if Yay! We, I think it would be kind Pam. of hot. All right, since I am the boss, I will drive as well. Who wants shotgun? You can't be serious. You ran a woman over this morning. Everyone inside the car was fine, Stanley. Guess what? I have flaws. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. So sue me. No, don't. Me. That's the opposite of the point that I am trying to make. It's like the, it's like the perfect inter job interview question. Which would be <laughs> I volunteer too much, right? I'm, I'm too hard of a worker, right? Let's put let's slip that into our next interview. <laughs> Sometimes who, who, I hit people with my car. Who hasn't who hasn't tried to, to pass that off in a job interview, right? <laughs> I don't know. I just love that in there. And his big solution on how to get the office back on track is to go out and plant a freedom tree. <laughs> he, he knows he needs to do something to get everyone's spirits up and get their mind off of uh, Meredith's situation. So he's grasping for straws, and he'll jump on anything. Yeah, it's kind of I find it kind of amusing how you know Pam's really kind of 
just walking right over him, and then he refuses to let her <laughs> talk over him anymore and does his, like, uh, you know, Pam noise. But that was the one time this episode where she kind of relented, but she was strong throughout a lot of the other aspects of this episode. So I think we, we are seeing a new Pam Beasley this season. Hardly recognizable as Pam, but it doesn't bother me yeah, one bit. It must have been a wild two months, that's all I can say. So, you know, Pam organizes the trip to the hospital. It's trying to be very conscientious about everything, and, and Michael, of course, wants to take full charge of, of what's going on, and so they end up with, like, every single person in the office <laughs> going to see Meredith at the same time. And, well, it doesn't quite work out, I guess, the way that Michael had hoped. She looks like an angel. She looks awful. No, okay, she always looks like that. It was not my fault. I mean, she's awake. Meredith. Mm. I brought all your friends from the office, dear. At the same time. Yeah. This is weird. You know what I was thinking might be sort of fun? Is if you forgave me in front of everybody. Michael, I'm not going to do that. I don't understand what is preventing you from laughing this off and giving me a big hug. You are not forgiven. Come on. Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. I guess we had it wrong all the whole time. It's not that he needs to be liked, he just needs to be praised. <laughs> well, he needs to be praised, but he has to be liked or whatever. How did he uh, say that in there? <laughs> I, I like being liked. I have to be liked. Uh, yeah, exactly. And he tries to climb on top of her to get like a hug or something on her broken pelvis. And That's always good when recovering from a major man. bone injury like that on your pelvis. Yeah, especially. And then, you know, this, again, the, going into the deleted scenes, and I'll talk about it now because it's just a total visual gag, but we have a little over-the-top Creed dialogue in there where he's like asking her what, uh, what kind of painkiller that she's on. And he sort of just keeps going, like, oh, Vicodin, Percocet, you know, Oxycontin, blah, 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 whatever. And uh, it's a little, some people thought it was a little uh, maybe less than subtle, but there's a much subtler joke that appears in the deleted scenes where as Creed is leaving, he um, <laughs> grabs Meredith's pill cup and, like, swallows her pills. I thought that that joke was much more effective. Count me in for the people who thought that the list of drugs was just way over the top. I, I, they should have kept the deleted scene instead of that one. You know, and that's the thing that's crazy. I think both of those deleted scenes were much, much funnier than the scene that we're going to talk about next, actually. I, I really wish that they would have trimmed that way, way down and made room for those other two deleted scenes. But, you know, I mean, again, the thing with Michael, he... <laughs> He doesn't care about hurting her. He doesn't care about anything. He just he needs her to forgive him in in front of everyone. He needs to, you know, feel that love from his family once again. And you know, once he gets back to the office, unfortunately, he gets even more news uh which convinces him that there's something funny going on. Man, what a day, huh? How could it get any worse? The computer crashes with the porn and then Meredith with the accident and then Prinkles. I'll tell you what's going on. This office is cursed, and we need to do something about it. Well, I am taking responsibility, and it is up to me to get rid of the curse. Did anyone do anything involving an Indian burial ground? Like what? Like park on it, or dig up a body. Toby? No, I did not violate an Indian burial ground. I had some good luck recently. Alfredo's Pizza picked my business card out of the basket, so uh, I got a week of free pies. 
That's cool. That's yeah. Cool. Perfect. So our tragedy is your good luck, Satan. Man, this is all about Toby Flunderson's triumph this episode, really. It really, uh, it was Toby's week to shine. But oh, really? <laughs> I thought, well, I mean, the end he did, but I thought Michael really got the best of him in that boardroom scene. I thought he got a couple zingers off at his expense, you actually. Think, well, you think so? Because, I mean, really, it's <laughs> Michael's dialogue in this scene, and, and let's, uh, let's just kind of bring things to a halt here for a second because this scene, this board, uh, this conference room scene, and the way that it played out, this is what I thought was really the the one really weak part of the whole premiere. Um, the dialogue I just played was pretty funny. I mean, <laughs> Toby, did you you know violate an Indian burial ground? That's borderline a little kind of little too crazy almost for Michael to say something like that. But then it kind of deviates even further into some really kind of goofy and, and sort of unfunny material. But uh, from where we are, I mean, right there, I don't know. Toby gets his free week of pies. Uh, I, I don't know. You thought Michael Zinger right there calling him uh, Satan or whatever? You thought that was a good zinger? I thought, well, your tragedy, our tragedy is your good luck. I thought that was a great line. And I think the Indian burial ground was a nice reference to the, our last episode that we talked about, which was Diversity Day, where he had that line about wanting to sit Indian style. So, oh, man. of course, he's going to go to Toby, right? <laughs> I wonder if that was intentional or just a coincidence, but yeah. Well, this, we're going to talk about some other uh, beats from Diversity Day <laughs> as well, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess you're right, but I mean, considering the source, like everyone, everyone in the office, I can only imagine, is just really kind of tired of Michael's berating Toby all the time, so I don't know if those zingers really landed or not, but, um, well, you know, and then that brings up, and here again, like I said, this is sort of what I think is the weakest part of the episode, um, almost out of nowhere, and for really no reason, Michael asks people all of a sudden to tell about his about their religion, and it seems like the entire cold open thing with the IT guy was done just to have that guy be in the conference room when Michael asked people about their religion, um, and it didn't really go anywhere beyond that. And, uh, well, well, let's play a little bit of the clip here. I would now like to talk about each of your individual religious beliefs. Oh, Michael, you can't ask about religious beliefs. Satan is a master of lies. Everything he says is the opposite. All right, well, then you can ask about religious beliefs. Thank you for the permission. Psych! All right, let's just go around the room and, and tell me what you believe in. Uh, I'm a Lutheran and Bob is a Unitarian. It keeps things spicy. That's why we're cursed. I've been involved in a number of cults, both as a leader and a follower. You have more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader. Kelly, you are Hindu, so you believe in Buddha. That's Buddha. Are you sure? No. Uh, it's just so sad and pathetic. Are you sure? No. <laughs> That was great. And I do, I love the, the Satan line there from Michael, psych, and that whole thing. I, I, I you know, but then again, I, I don't really like Toby. So I guess anything, anything that's against Toby is fine by me. And, you know, even, and then even the stuff right there that I played actually was kind of funny. The, you know, I like to keep things spicy. Oh, that was more disturbing than Phyllis. funny. But. Well, it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny. It keeps things spicy in our relationship. And, and and that stuff is pretty funny. And then, I mean, really what happens is the next line where he starts talking about the, um, maybe we can worship some kind of animal with the head of a sea lion and the body of a walrus. And he goes on for like two minutes. It's so yeah. 
so deathly, just not. There was there was nothing funny about that scene, and it didn't do anything for the plot either. It didn't give you any insight to the characters, like the Kelly line. At least gave you some insight to what is in her head or lack thereof. <laughs> and but yeah, I agree with you that they could have cut that out, and it wouldn't have harmed the show at all. In fact, they could have put in some other funnier stuff. In the end, though, ultimately, Michael does find some salvation. Spend your whole life trying to get people to like you, and then you run over one person with your car. And it's not even one of the popular ones. Everybody gets on your case. Doesn't make any sense. God is dead. If there was a God, then Ryan and I would be married by now. Maybe believing in God was a mistake. What did people believe in before? Maybe there's some sort of animal that we can make a sacrifice to. Turns out, Meredith has been exposed to rabies. Thanks to me, she went to the hospital and I saved her life. Curse is broken, people! Oh, there is a God. And he has a plan for us after all. Is there a God? If not, what are all these churches for? And who is Jesus's dad? Sage advice, sage advice, exactly. I've ever heard it. <laughs> I just love that line. You know, I, See, this is part of the reason why I thought this was a little weird is because Michael's saying things like, God is dead. And, um, okay, granted, uh, Angela is at a low point in her face at this point. But, I mean, everyone just sits there silently while Michael's saying all this stuff. <laughs> like, oh, I ran over somebody, not even one of the popular ones. Yes, you know? but Andy did, ha- Andy did have a lot of serious looks in that scene, <laughs> which I, I was uh, paying close attention to. Well, they're not paying Ed Helms enough, whatever it is, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> Serious looks, bloody nipples, it's just, uh, you cannot put a price tag on excellence like that. Well, that's going to about do it for Michael in this first episode here. We'll go back to him in uh, in the second episode in just a moment. But um, since we we're talking about our two romances here, one on the rise and one on the descent, uh, let's take a listen to our downfalling Dwangela here. Now, what is the setup of the episode? Well, Sprinkles is feeling a little bit under the weather and Angela can't go home and feed her. Now, Kevin, let me throw a question out there to you. Sprinkle's death is the fault of Pam Beasley. True or false? False. Aha, but if if she wouldn't have guilted Angela into taking over the planning for the party of visiting Meredith, Angela would have gone home and fed her cat. Well, then we can blame uh, (laughs) the actions on Michael then for (laughs) hitting Meredith. And whoever gave Michael the Sebring could be faulted if you want to oh, run that thread backwards far fine. enough. The but. chain of causality <laughs> strikes. But, um, I, you know, Pam took a little little too much pleasure, I think, in manipulating Angela in that scene. Right after. This is the new, this is the new confident Pam. She's not taking it from anyone anymore. Yeah, well. but it's not really, like, sticking <laughs> up for yourself. It's just being a dick. I mean, it's not really. She's hurting from her poor cat being dead. and. Uh, she's just like, well, it's your job. You have to do it, you know. And she knows that she's just playing Angela, and 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 uh, ah, I don't know. Well, the way Angela is always giving everyone grief because she's the one in charge. So it's like, you know what? You're you've always wanted the power. You better take it. Oh man, I, I guess I'm just feeling bad for poor Sprinkles. All right. Well, anyway, here go. Uh, how does this whole thing start? Well, Angela and Dwight make a few plans. Hey, Dee. Hey, Monkey, what's up? Can you do me a little favor? Go to my place at lunch and give Sprinkles her medicine? Sure. So what do you need me to do? I wrote it out. Mm-hmm. There's a diabetes shot. She gets an ACE inhibitor with her meal. So you have to put her right in front of the dish or she won't see it because of the cataracts. 
mix one capsule of omega fatty acid in with her kidney medicine. Um, and you want to give that to her 15 minutes after she's eaten. And, oh, there's a fungal cream because she has this infection under her tail. So you're going to have to lift her tail and put the cream right at the base of her tail. And Rain Wilson's facial expressions during that whole litany of, uh, of tasks is pretty pretty gruesome as well, especially the last one, you know, lift up that uh, tail for the fungal cream there. Yeah, you got a, you, you know, you got a bad feeling that something was going to happen to Sprinkles food and all that <laughs> stuff was coming down because I could kind of tell Dwight wasn't really up for this whole job, you know? Oh, man. I'm a new cat owner for the last year, actually, and I don't know. I don't know if I would ever get to the point where I would go through that much trouble for, for one of my cats, but... <laughs> Did, did you like how those two cameras were just so coincidentally placed outside the in the parking lot? <laughs> yeah. When Dwight returns a little bit later, well, kind of good news and bad news, I guess. Any problems? Well, you left the TV on, and your cat is dead. But I thought she had more time. No. <laughs> when you saw her, how was she looking? Really dead. <laughs> like a just a dead cat. <laughs> so, hey, come on. Don't be sad. She's in a better place. All right. Actually, the place that she's in is the freezer because of the odor. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> How heartless is that? Well, and, you know, Dwight is just a warm, fuzzy guy, you know, with that physical affection there and that time of need, right? Exactly. Boy, what a great boyfriend he is. That open-handed, like, slap on the shoulder or whatever. I mean, Come on jeez. Now. Well, say what you will about Michael Scott, but just like in business school, he is the most sensitive man in the office when it comes to the emotions of his female employees, you know? Yeah, that is true, and that's kind of funny. Like, I, aside from calling the cat Prinkles the second time around, I mean, he, he did seem genuinely upset to find out that uh, the poor old Sprinkles had passed. So I think he was probably the only one in the office that actually felt bad for Angela at that point. I guess we'll never know what really happened to Sprinkles, will we? Or should we just wait until part two? Oh yes, I think that's a good. I think that's a good idea. I, I just no, I love that. I just love that line where it's like, you know, oh, she's in a better place. Well, actually, the place that she's in is in the freezer because of the odor. You know, and your your TV was left on. Oh, and your cat is dead. Like it's an afterthought. Yes. Speaking of Jim and Pam, let's just get this all over with because this is what we were all gooey about at the end of the job last season. And like you alluded to before, at first, I mean, it seemed like they were almost going to screw us and just kind of like stick it to us. Um, it, humorously, like before the premiere came on, I sort of predicted in my blog that um, that they were going to come in and, the, and then the first thing they were going to say was, yeah, we dated for a few months, but it didn't work out. And now we're back to being friends. And that was almost exactly what happened in this episode at the beginning. And I think that uh, it's kind of brilliant how they had Kevin sort of speak for the fanboys. I broke up with Karen after the job interview. And uh, it was a little awkward when she came back from the city. She told me very clearly that just because we were broken up didn't mean that she was going anywhere because she had worked really hard for her career. But the next day, her desk was empty. And as for me and my current romantic life. I'm single now and looking. Jim and I went to dinner a few times when he got back from New York. I talked him through his breakup. It's really nice to be good friends again. Are you kidding me? Pam and Jim are totally hooking up. All they do is smile. They're just keeping it a secret, right? I don't know. There is no evidence of intimacy. 
They've been in remarkably good moods. Could be other things. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, that is just... Are you kidding me? That was my exact reaction when we came back to that. Uh, I, I thought the way that they played that was really good, and uh, I think that's a new catchphrase. There is no evidence of intimacy. <laughs> I want to get that printed on a T-shirt or something. Well, it's Cafe Press. I'm sure it's just already hit the, the store shelves by now. So, But, but I, again, I, I do think that that was really neat, the way they put that together, where you had one person in the office saying, oh, they definitely have to be getting together, and another person saying no, and it... It really played with the fans' expectations, and again, really, really brilliant writing here. And yeah, then through the whole episode, I mean, Kevin was hilarious, trying to trying to spot them, trying to catch them in the, you know in, in their lie or whatever. Like when they're going to the hospital, you know, they're, oh, they're taking separate cars, and he has that hilarious bit of dialogue. I wish I would have uh, recorded that where he's like. <laughs> And did you, did you ask, ask Jim? Jim? Oh, I bet you will. I bet you did. I bet you're going to. And again, Oscar with the, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, he's like, oh, real subtle, Kevin. At the end, again, then as Pam leaves the building, we have Kevin sitting in his back of his car uh, spying on them. And he sort of gives us frustration and, and sort of tells us why Pam and Jim were really meant to be. Oh, well, if they aren't together now then they probably never will be. I thought they'd be good together. Like PB and J, Pam, Beasley, and Jim. What a waste. What a waste. I told you I'm not dating anyone. And even if I was, the last person I'm gonna talk about it to is a camera crew or my coworkers. Almost marrying Roy Anderson was as close to Pamela Anderson as I ever wanna be. Trust me, when I fall in love, you'll know. Oh, Pammy, you lying slut. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, um, but Pam, you know, that's the thing. Over that voiceover, then the, the, the cliffhanger, the ending, the thing that we get to see there is, of course, Pam drives down the block, and then Jim sneaks out, and they get in the car, and lip lock, and the fanboys go wild. Definitely a great, you know, like I said, it would have been a great cliffhanger to end the episode in that fashion. Um, yeah, well, the I'm, dialogue there from Kevin was just brilliant the way it was, oh, wait, maybe they aren't going to be together. You know, it's like <laughs> it, they were setting it up that it was the, that they weren't going to be together. And then this little twist at the end was just great. And, you know, I'm surprised after three seasons, we never heard PB and J. I guess Jam <laughs> became so, you know, well known that no one even tried to come up with another acronym. But, I mean, especially. <laughs> You know, Jam is really not that far away from PB&J usually, right? Well, there you go, man. I don't know. Kevin, in his wisdom, <laughs> came up with some classics. And I think it's kind of funny. He's almost like the uh, – and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but if you want to bear with me, Kevin's almost like the comic book guy in this episode where he's kind of pointing, you know, kind of making fun of the fans a little bit, you know, uh, how <laughs> our expectations and like, oh, they've got to hook up and, and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that PB&J thing was, a, you know, an indirect reference to the whole jam phenomenon. Uh, I'm sure it was. I, I, I love that. So kudos on that first part of the episode there. Definitely left uh, left some room for... For growth, a lot of different plot lines there. You know, how are they going to handle their relationship? Obviously, they're going to get found out at some point. Um, I don't know, are we, the Christmas episode, perhaps? Or sooner? Do you want to place any bets? Oh, hmm. I think it's going to go into spring. <laughs> you think it's going to go that long with them hiding? Yes, it? yes. It won't go to the end of the season, but it will go 
definitely past Christmas. All right. Well, we, we set the over and under right there. <laughs> we shall have to see, my friend. We shall have to see. Well, uh, that's going to about do it for us this week. Wait, uh, uh, actually, no. We have a whole entire another episode. What am I thinking here? Uh, direct then from the last episode, we have Michael deciding to do something again to try to win back his employees' love to uh, work over some guilt that he has from from running over. Meredith, and, well, I'll just let him kind of explain what's going on. Michael Scott, Thunder Mifflin Scranton, Meredith Palmer Memorial, Celebrity Rabies Awareness Fun Run Race for the Cure. This is Pam. Pro-Am. Pro-Am Race for the... They hung up. A woman shouldn't have to be hit by a car to learn that she may have rabies. But that is where we are in America. And that does not sit right with me. And that is why I am hosting a fun run race for the cure for rabies to raise awareness of the fact that there is a cure for rabies. But, but you know, this I, again, this is another topic that is, is really good for the office in terms of writing because there's always these things that you have in the office, these uh, things where, you know, everyone from the office has to join in and race against some sort of cause or for some disease and it again it's so ridiculous that we're here for rabies which kills what four people a year right yeah i mean it's, it's perfect for the office perfect material myth rabies kills three people a year fact it kills four again i i don't think in this episode it it doesn't really make explicit kind of like why michael is doing what he's doing other than just kind of what i mentioned before i guess at the end we sort of get this uh, almost a real heartfelt sort of outpouring of emotion about how he wants to try to to make a difference. But um, I don't know. I mean, do you, what do you think is motivating him to do this at the beginning here? It guilt, mostly. <laughs> I think, you know, he feels guilty and he wants to try to prove to everyone he is a good guy. He's not the bad guy who hit someone with a car. And he's also, I mean, I think he's also enjoying playing the boss of the race, you know, like being in charge and uh, setting it all up and, and doing all this stuff and wanting to kind of feel like a big shot. You know? Of course. <laughs> with, uh, well, you know, and the thing is with uh, the rabies fundraiser, it doesn't quite go exactly as as planned. And, and then they go into the break room to sort of talk about Michael's vision for how this is going to play out. We have raised almost $700, most of it for me and Jan. When do they put that on the giant check? Well, a giant check costs about $200 to make up. I always imagined it with a giant check. Yeah, I mean, I personally am definitely on board for the giant check. Giant check it is. Yeah. I was also hoping to hand the giant check to a rabies doctor. And how's that been going? Not well. A doctor won't come out to collect a check for $700. Or a rabies nurse. I don't think so. You know what, though? I've actually seen ads for nurses that you can hire by the hour for uh, parties and bachelor events. That's possible. Look into that. Great. Maybe we should skip the ceremony and just set up a college fund for Meredith's son. Have you met that kid? I'm not going to college. <laughs> we have met that kid in the <laughs> Bring Your Daughter to Work Day, and I think I'd probably agree. Now, is this, you can see this as sort of malicious as far as Jim and Pam here. Uh, they're basically, def you know, taking Michael's trying at least to do something good, and they're making, they're, you know, they're, they're encouraging him to throw his money away on, on frivolous little items here so yeah because of the money they've wasted one less person will live exactly i mean <laughs> think of all the or five or ten less people will be aware that there's a cure for rabies i mean really um, <laughs> science but, is three hundred dollars poorer now 
because but you know what? It's so nice to see Pam and Jim in a good mood and uh, smiling and going with the things. It's just great to see that happening again. Right. So th there was a lot of visual gags there with, with Dwight that you couldn't hear, but uh, you know, he was actually trying to be the voice of reason in that scene, surprisingly <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, shaking his head, you know, with the big check, no, no. And then there, they had that weird line where Michael, like, apparently lied to him that it was for bat birth control <laughs> to get him to contribute, and then... Uh... But he didn't contribute very much anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess at that point, Dwight uh, just lets it go. But yeah, it's pretty fun. And again, you know, we could set up a college fund. No, <laughs> he's not going to college. Well, that leads into then the preparations for the fun run, and we get Andy and his big lengthy explanation of his his uh, sensitive nipples coming out of the bathroom there with his big like, <laughs> I don't know, he's like stuffed his bra or something with with all these tissues and things that he's taped over his chest. And Michael is getting uh, <laughs> ready for the race, and Pam. Gets to know Michael a little bit more than she perhaps wanted to. So I closed the door, but the image of his Baguette. dangling participle Ooh. still burned in my eyes. I can imagine. May I enter the room? You couldn't have taken off all your clothes in the men's room? Yes, but I have an office, so why would I do that? Mm -hmm. On average, how many hours a day do you spend naked in your office, just ballpark? European offices are naked all the time. They're so not. Besides, my shirt tail covered most of it, so... I didn't see where it started, but I saw where it ended. Gross. That's not gross. It is a human body. What is your problem? So I heard that you were peeping on Michael. What? No, it was not... Look, I don't know what your deal is, but he's mine, okay? So hands off. Man, well, Fancy New Beasley is no match for scary old Jan. That's all I got to say. <laughs> it's nice to see Jan finally getting her inner bitch back, you know? <laughs> I love that line. You know, it's nice to see her back in a forceful way. Maybe they'll get a job or something one of these days. <laughs> well, we, uh, yeah, you know, as far as people saying that Ryan was underused in that episode, Jan, again, definitely was a little underused there. I mean, aside from just being unconscious in bed in the first part of the episode, um, this is her only one of two big lines, really, in the whole show. And, uh, <laughs> A little scary, you know. Pan there is acting, acting like a pretty big shot in the in the break room there, talking about how I, I didn't see where it started when I saw where it ended. That was uh, a good line. And the dangling participle. Now, what did you think of that scene with Andy where he comes out of the bathroom and he kind of consoles Angela a little, little bit? Are, are we setting up a little love triangle, maybe? Well, in the New York Times or the New York Magazine this past week, uh, Mindy Kaling was interviewed, and in regards to Andy, she said that uh, they enjoy writing for his character they're making him a lot less annoying in quotes this season and she said i guess i can tease that you're going to see andy in a more romantic light wooing people i can say that and that's very funny you'll get to see a lot of singing and tons of acapella so the rift in the dwight and angela relationship seems to definitely open the door and perhaps if andy is as perceptive as we think he might be on occasion anyway Maybe he sees that there is an opportunity for himself to insert himself into that relationship and uh, create a wedge there. <laughs> well, he tried it last season. I mean, he definitely tried to uh, make his move on Angela sort of last season with uh, the cat uh, wallpaper or whatever. Oh, that's right, so, yeah. He's, uh, he, he planted that seed before, and I guess we're going to have to see what happens. Michael then at the race just... Having a few words with the employees as everybody's getting ready for the fun run. You know, they had uh, another crazy Creed line where he's, like, saying he's going to be 82 or whatever in November. Some words of wisdom here from Michael then before the big race starts. 
Okay, everybody, listen up. Thank you for coming. Before we get started, I want to say a few words about this deadly disease called rabies. Daryl, what are you doing? I'm giving him peanuts. No, don't give him. Just, did you hear anything I said? Look how happy he is. He's happy because he's insane. You know what? That's a perfect example of the kind of awareness we need to generate. Where's the nurse? Hello, Michael. Oh, hey, I know you. Elizabeth? Yeah. Right? Wow. Very cool you went back and got your degree. I would like you to accept this check for $340 made out to science. Make sure that that gets into the right hands. Great. You know, it's kind of sad. $360 of Michael's $700 went into the check in hiring uh, Elizabeth there to come back as the sexy nurse. That's, an, yeah, a nice recurring character there from uh, the Ben Franklin episode, I believe. Oh, yep, so. that's correct. And that's... Uh, I admire his naivete as well. Like, oh, it's good to see you went back and got your degree. Uh, that, that bit with Daryl was a little over the top, but I still think it was funny. Uh, you know, talking about the foaming barking killer instead of the silent killer. <laughs> well, some, you know, some people again were commenting on. You know, we talked about last week about that. Maybe some jokes being made a little, a little too obvious. Some people mentioned that they would have liked it better if the camera would have just shown him playing with the squirrel rather than having that whole big dialogue. You know, I, I think a little Daryl goes a long way, and I think it was nice to have him have that line about, look how happy he is, and gives you a little insight into the character, at least. Well, I think what gives you more insight into the character is that when the race starts, they have a quick shot of him like, putting his, putting the moves on Elizabeth uh, in the alley or whatever, so it's, uh, uh, you go, Daryl. And anyway, well, here's a little montage, pretty much just of uh, some of the main events that happened over the race. I'm very fast. I'm like Forrest Gump, except... I am not an idiot. Water, babe? No, no water for me. No, well, rabies causes fear of water. Solidarity. Michael, that's irrational. Oh, God. My nipples. It's starting. I will work out a way to avoid running for a stupid cause. We need another round. We've got, what, another 20 minutes? That fettuccine was sitting in my stomach like a rock. You got nothing to worry about. I put Imodium in Toby's coffee before the race. <laughs> Excellent. Simpsons. Wait, Imodium or Exile? I'm making great time. Usually I have to take a bathroom break halfway through a race like this, but not today. Come on! God, watch the nipples, Kevin! Back off me. And the winner is Toby Flanderson. How does he know? Write it down. Where are we? I don't know. Like five kilometers from the office? He couldn't have made it a circle. Good old Flenderson. I just yeah, I'm making great time. Yeah, he's got <laughs> a, lot of good, a lot of good stuff in there. Although I, I, you missed the one clip that I thought was really funny with Andy, where he talked about how I walked two marathons, so I think I can run a 5K. The key is wind resistance. It's such an Andy thing to say. He's like always trying to be smarter than the average person there. Well, that's the whole he's thing. Always got a plan. Again, that was a visual gag. Is is the whole race? Andy is running like one foot behind Kevin the whole time. That's why he bumps into him when they're in, and starts yelling at him for bumping into his nipples. You know, and the funny thing is, and again, this is kind of a funny line. I should have played this before, but you know, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin just refused. Like, he doesn't want to run at all because he didn't bring any of his running stuff. And, and Michael has this big speech about how the fat man used to be <laughs> the powerful one and, and uh, in the olden days. But now it's not the olden days, and so Kevin has to run. And so he's running the whole course in his, uh, <laughs> his like business pants and his shirt and his tie. <laughs> 
He's all sweaty. <laughs> and his work yeah, shoes. It, you know, I thought that that back in olden times uh, bit was pretty interesting because Michael started talking to the camera, and then Kevin slowly kept looking at the camera and back at Michael. I thought it was really neat. And again, this is where, I, you know, we always concentrate on Michael acting like the buffoon or whatever, but you have to balance that with times when he actually knows what he's doing and actually does something smart, like <laughs> the stuff with Toby earlier in the episode. Uh, you, you have to have a balance there because if he's just too much of a buffoon, then it's completely, you know, unbelievable. So well, I like it when, when he actually shows to be a little bit smart. And the Simpsons reference there as well was pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, this, uh, I mean, this second half of the episode is almost... It was walking a fine line of being a little too goofy. You know, the, the idea that Dwight and, and Michael were trying to sabotage Toby. Put the Imodium AD instead of the X-Lax in his coffee. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and Flenderson had the best day of his life. <laughs> and no one cared. No. And he was just sitting there by himself. And even at the beginning of the race, like, Michael's all, Oh, look at me, I'm Toby, I'm stretching. <laughs> I, I did appreciate to see Creed and uh, Oscar and Stanley going off and doing their own thing. It's like those are three characters you don't typically see interact with each other, and somehow they were in Zapotico with each other to go and have a beer instead of racing that day. That was pretty good. Well, was, the way that that was filmed, that was pretty hilarious where, you know, Michael runs past them, and then they're all like, yeah, Michael, you're the greatest, yeah, and then they just like, jump right into it. There's my boss. <laughs> Jump right into a cab right as he drives, you know, runs past them. And, and then, they, yeah, they enjoy the beer on the terrace for the half hour and then drive to the finish line and jump out. So classic, classic Stanley right there. And I agree, man. I'm I'm like Kevin. I don't think I could have made it. You know, I'm, I have a fear of people seeing my big fat legs in, in shorts. So I don't know if I could have pulled that off, but no, this is the this last part of the episode though. I think this is one of the typical, almost like heart tugging moments uh, for Michael. And I'm, this is one of those things where I'm not sure if we're supposed to mock him, or kind of feel sorry for him and like genuinely feel sympathy for him because I, I really genuinely feel sympathy for him during this speech. You know, the guy he's trying his best. He broke down. He <laughs> tried to carbo load with the <laughs> big plate of fettuccine. He refused water along the way to be in solidarity with the rabies victims who have a fear of water. Uh, and he's having a total breakdown here. And Jim and Pam come up, and they can't really resist sticking their fork in him. Michael? What are you doing here? I can't finish. There are people all over the world with all sorts of problems and afflictions and diseases. They're deformed. Symphonies don't have any money. Public TV is bust. I can't do anything about it. I can't, you know. You don't have rabies, so you don't really have to think about it too much. Sam, if everybody felt that way, nothing would get done. But there's other, better people out there who are helping. You just don't think I am capable of making a difference. You don't know me. You've just seen my penis. I can't make a difference. Remember, I'm the one who started this whole thing off by hitting Meredith with my car. And I owe it to her to finish his GD5K. So you think Pam was just reverse psychologizing on Michael, or was she just being an ass? Oh, I think it was sort of sincere. <laughs> I, I don't think it was. I don't think she was trying to just completely insult him. I think she was trying to, you know, get him up so we could end the day and and make him feel a little bit better. And I think at the same time, you know, not coddle him too much and try to give him at least a little bit of dose of reality. Like, Come on, let's not worry about this too much, you know? Yeah. I mean, Pam's been... 
last season she really kind of played that supporter of Michael and sort of the consoler of Michael. And, you know, Michael returned the favor by going to the art show. I don't want to see her lose that kind of being a little bit of supportive to Michael, even though he's a total ass and uh, probably doesn't deserve it, but, but still. And, you know, I'd like to think that she was using reverse psychology to get him motivated, but uh, I don't I know. So. <laughs> Fancy new Beasley. I'm wondering about her. I don't, I'm not sure which way, that she, which way that she goes yet. So we'll just have to see. And, you know, what has Michael learned in the end? Finishing that 5K was the hardest thing I have ever had to do. I ate more fettuccine Alfredo and drank less water than I have in my entire life. People always talk about triumphs of the human spirit. Well, today I had a triumph of the human body. That's why everybody was applauding for me at the end. My guts, my heart, and... While I eventually puked my guts out, I never puked my heart out. And I'm very, very proud of that. Well, there's my T-shirt, man, <laughs> right there. I never puked my heart out. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit touching there. I, I think he sincerely did want to make a difference, and, uh, you know, maybe he succeeded a little bit. And, I mean, again, he milks the whole thing where, you know, it's like some parody of one of those you know, uh, I don't know, it's from like the Olympics or something years back where like the guy limps himself in, you know, and finishes the marathon and, and everyone's clapping for him. And He you overcame know, some handicap, right? Yeah, Michael's just eating it up, you know, he, and uh, Jim and Pam give him the, uh, the little lamp as like a trophy or something and he, he's so proud of it, holds it aloft and, well, I don't know. I don't know if he learned anything or not, but I mean, at least he... He did give it the old college try. Well, Kevin, the last time we left White and Angela, things were going uh, not too well. You know, there were some suspicions being raised. This was Sprinkles. She was my best friend. I kept her going through countless ailments. I asked Dwight Schrute to feed her once, and she is now deceased. What's wrong? I have this crazy thought that maybe Dwight killed my cat. Hmm. When I got home, Sprinkle's body was in the freezer where Dwight said he left her. But all my bags of frozen french fries had been clawed to shreds. Oh. Something's not right. Did Roy ever kill one of your cats? I'm more of a dog person. <sighs> we mentioned this before, but there is, there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of really kind of gruesome, grim, uh, macabre kind of stuff in this episode. That The vision of, of Sprinkle's trying to claw her way out of freezing, you know, uh, death casket there is, it's quite disturbing if you think about it. Yeah, it's not a pleasant vision, that's for sure. So you're, I think you're right about that. And, and boy, Dwight just didn't do a good job <laughs> on that little errand, did he? You know, and as far as other kind of uh, sort of disturbing things that we got in this episode, like I, I sort of mentioned this before, we were talking about this, that a lot of uh, kind of creepy stuff like the Andy's nipples, bleeding through the shirt at the end of the race there. Um, I don't know, good visual gag, over-the-top visual gag, disturbingly sick visual gag, I'm not sure quite yet. I think yet. it was all right. <laughs> Which one, I think. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's some, some kind of creepy stuff. Well, Angela kind of starts to piece things together and uh, actually sends the cat out to be autopsied, <laughs> have all her organs examined to prove that, uh, that Dwight has murdered her cat. And she confronts him. Actually, she kind of beats the crap out of him in the office. She uh, 
hip checks him and then rams her chair into his legs a couple of times. No. I love that part. I am a farmer, Angela. When a farmer sees an animal that is in pain, that has no quality of life, a farmer does what city folk don't have the stomach to do. You did kill her! I, I, I sang her her favorite songs. It was beautiful and gentle and respectful. I fed her antihistamines and she gradually fell asleep. Well, then she barfed them up in the freezer and tried to get out. Well, I'm not responsible for that! Hey! Ow! Could you do that without telling me? I thought I was helping you. I expected a hug. I know a great taxidermist. I'll pay to have her stuffed. Well, he's not great, but he's pretty good. You don't understand. Angela? Don't touch me, Dwight. And there goes the relationship. And I love that line in there. I had to throw that in there. It's like, I know a great taxidermist. Well, he's good. He's not great. But do you remember what, what Dwight said last time when we talked about diversity today? A hero kills people. I think <laughs> Dwight expected to get some sort of gold medal for putting this cat out of his, his misery. And well, he could not have been more wrong uh, knowing what we now know about Cat Heaven. Yeah, definitely bad move on Dwight's part. Now, will they be able to reconcile from this horrible, horrible mistake? Um, I'm predicting, let's see, we're going to have to have a couple, couple episodes in there where Andy's trying to make his move. Probably a few episodes maybe where she goes out with him. Dwight's going to have to do something to win her back, though. I, I, I predict a win back before the end of the season. I predict it too, but it, it's going to have to be something really, really big. They were pretty chummy, man. They were really uh, Machiavellian there together back in the Beach Games episode. So it's kind of funny how how fast things have fallen apart. Not a lot of Jim and Pam in this second half of the episode, except for that scene that we've kind of already talked about. Oh, um, no, that's not... I mean, that wasn't... Yeah, um, that was... Um... I mean, I can see how it would seem a bit like we... Uh, how it looks like... Um... But, I mean, nowadays you can edit anything, right? I mean, you can edit anything to look like um, anything. Yeah, I gave him a ride home because right. we're dating. Wow. There it is. Uh, yeah. We haven't told anybody, but it's going really great, right? It is going really great. So, there you go. Our, our fan dreams have been realized. They're all full of smiles very happy together. Things are going great. The wave of cheers at uh, 8.33 p.m. <laughs> across the country. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're right as far as, you know, I'm glad that they got rid of that right away so we weren't subjected to that, you know, oh, we're just friends thing for the next couple months. Right. Now the camera people are in on it. You know, what, what does that mean? What will that mean? Again, are we going to see any outside activity from them, or is this going to be continued kind of like the in-the-office sort of moments? Um, they keep trying to sneak moments in the office. I mean, that's just inevitably they're going to get found out. Well, I think that it's going to be, we'll see the little, you know, glimmer, and there was a look that Pam had given Jim at one point in the episode, too where we'll see what's going on between them, but the rest of the people in the office won't see it because they're not looking for it. So, again, I think that this should be real interesting. And maybe we'll get a little bit of the outside of the office during some of the special episodes around the holidays or something like that, maybe. But overall, I think it's not going to be a focus on the relationship. It's going to just be back to the normal, what we like between Jim and Pam um, as part of the office. I think that's going to be you know, great. And it's not too much focus on the whole relationship with the capital R. Yeah, maybe that's the way that they have to play it because we like we said before a lot of down a lot of sitcoms have had their downfall in, in kind of hooking up the two main love interests and maybe that's their way around it is to just take it so low key 
that uh, <laughs> it's almost just like it was first or second season. Exactly. With the but did you notice it was it was Pam who finally let the cat out of the bag there? So <laughs> I think again being more assertive than in the past, which is great. Well, there was as of right now, there's two deleted scenes posted on the NBC website. There's uh, little bubbles for up to five scenes. So whether those other three scenes will show up this week. Keep your eyes peeled, uh, but let's go ahead and take a listen to these. Like I said before, both of these very good scenes uh, should have been in the episode and edited out all the uh, walrus head, sea lion, whatever the hell that stuff was. Did you ever think of this? Would a sober person walk in front of a car? Ew. I'm sorry, are you saying that Meredith was drunk at 9 a.m.? Well, it's a stick of Michael. Cool. No proof of that. That's not. That seems early, even for her. That's not what I'm No, I'm not saying that. That's disgusting. Drunk. No. You can't get drunk off Kahlua. It's just a kind of coffee. Then what are you saying? I am saying that maybe I was drunk. Did you ever think of that? Definitely not. That would be DUI. But, okay. Maybe she hit me. You ever think of that? She hit me? I don't know whose fault it was. I wasn't exactly looking at the road. They don't have this kind of technology at the vet. It's not fair. It's fair. You know what? Why don't we go around the room and say one memory of Meredith? I'll start. I liked her jumpers. They reminded me of kindergarten. Jim? I'll always remember Meredith's back. That's all I can see from my desk. All that red hair over a nice, strong back. Sometimes I pretend it's Carrot Top, and he's going to turn around and tell a joke. So, how's the view, old girl? Oh, there's a cemetery. You think that's affiliated with the hospital, or right. is it like a separate... Okay, picture? okay, okay. You can just close that. Bye, Meredith. Why can't you just forgive... Why, got some balloons. why are you having such a hard time laughing this off? How do you know that you weren't born with some sort of abnormal pelvis that it was just bound to crack at some point? Oh, please, Michael. I'm not going to leave until you forgive me. You're going to be here a long time. Nurse! Just need some water. My pills. There's nothing in here. I don't know. All that stuff was pretty good. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> Michael comes out that maybe she was drunk, and then, oh, gee, she was drunk, I guess, <laughs> on her non-alcoholic Kahlua. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, hey, that's what I was saying earlier, you know? She might have been drunk, for all we know. We'll ne- I guess maybe we'll never know. But I like that whole thing where Michael's trying to dig himself out of it. He's like, well, maybe I was drunk. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> As if somehow that's better. Than him not being drunk, uh, Michael. Maybe people would take sympathy on him instead of blaming him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he thought that one through too well. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, well, not too much news this week. Uh, first up, we have another product placement in this episode. Can you guess what it is? No, it is not squirrel repellent. It is 
Wegmans Food Markets. Apparently, the producers approached the East Coast chain asking for products to use on the show. Michael's Soy Milk and Cereal were Wegmans brands, and throughout the episode, other employees were drinking Wegmans branded soda. Man, I know it's, it's, uh, you're all a tingle, but look for more authentic Scranton food items in future episodes. On rating news, the fourth season premiere episode earned 9.7 million viewers, which was up from last season's debut and matched the best the show has ever done in the 18 to 49 demographic. However, it was still destroyed by CSI, which had nearly 25 million viewers, and Grey's Anatomy, which had 20.5 million. Overall, NBC finished third for the night. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is really what we can expect. Um, it's done. It did better than it had in the past, and so I guess that's a positive, right? I think so, and, and you know, I think the show's getting momentum, and it really, in TV, it's really about the demographic ratings, and The Office does really well, especially when you consider, you know, people who watch within the first week on things like TiVo or on the website, replays, whatever. Right, so um, good news, although 9.7 is, kind of sad next to 25 million but uh but still <laughs> not too bad better than they've done in the past so good job there fellows dunder mifflin infinity game information here the branch is up and running that's what she said has control of the schaumburg illinois branch and we currently have over 900 employees I'm not sure if any other branch has that many employees. Some of the other ones I saw had like maybe 40 or 50, but we've got 900 plus. <laughs> so if you're if you if you're cool with that, that's fine. Uh, if you want to join a branch that has smaller numbers, you know that's fine too. You can just hit reapply on your personal page. Our first task has been assigned, which is to design a branch logo using the Flash app on the DMI website. Anyone who enters the logo gets 50 Shroot Bucks, and voting on the logo will begin sometime after the deadline for submissions, which is Tuesday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Now, I went over there, and I made my own little logo, and fortunately, the the, uh, flash thing that you have to use is really, really limited, and I wasn't too happy about that. I kind of threw together uh, a logo that I thought was kind of cool using Photoshop the other day, but alas, I guess we have to even even the playing field. Technically, the person who wins this challenge, like they're going to do it the way like each branch will have a winner, and then they're going to have uh, who has the best branch or logo vote off kind of thing, and whoever wins the ultimate prize theoretically is supposed to win an autographed piece of apparel that was worn by a cast member in the fun run episode so you might have michael scott's sweaty shirt <laughs> or <his> sweaty shorts <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh man uh but anyway yeah head on over there we're still not sure how it's gonna work the desk applet thing there has gone live too where you can buy little things to put on your desk and kevin i i i just have to throw this out there because i uncovered this and i I'm wondering what the deal is and if there's some kind of conspiracy afoot. But, um, you know, listeners know that much to my chagrin, my hometown, Racine, Wisconsin, branch was instantly snapped up, and uh, which is why we had to settle for the Schaumburg, Illinois branch. Well, delving into who the hell took the Racine branch, who on earth do I find as being a member of the Racine branch 
none other than the famous Tanster of Office Tally. So, Tanster, seriously, what the hell? Why are you part of the Racine branch? Well, and she and she lives here in the Bay Area near near me, you know. So it's like I don't know why she would take that branch. Uh, you know, I, I I thought last week maybe you were a little paranoid. Not so much anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I'm sure that whoever founded it, you know, they're probably friends or whatever the case is. But I just I found it a really kind of weird coincidence. So I hope you guys do the Racine branch proud. Hey guys, before we go on to the next news story, I just want to tell you that. Uh, um, the segment that we originally recorded with Kevin and I somehow was totally screwed up, so I'm having to go back here and re-record it, so excuse me for my one-sided reading of the news from here on out. But uh, let's take it away, shall we? Um, the NBC Universal Store has put several new items on sale from the Fun Run episode, including Michael's shirts and wristbands and Dwight's Shroot Farms Beats long sleeve tee. And speaking of shirts, that's what she said. Mugs and T-shirts are now available. Check out our Cafe Press store at www.cafepress.com slash TWSS podcast. One more convention update here, folks. If you are planning on attending the official office convention in Scranton in October, uh, confirmed guests. So far, we have Leslie David Baker as Stanley, Brian Baumgartner, Kevin, Creed Bratton, Kate Flannery, Meredith, uh, Mindy Kaling, or Kelly, Angela Kinsey, Angela, obviously, Oscar Nunez, again, Oscar, uh, Bobby Ray Schaefer, who plays Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, and Phyllis Smith, who plays, of course, Phyllis. Um, Despite the high ticket prices and the kind of worries about whether or not they were going to sell out, uh, tickets are still available at all levels. Um, remember, you do need to get that $250 corporate level pass if you want to see all of the guest stars. The um, I'm not really quite sure how they're going to work this, but on the ticket page, if you get the $25 or the $50 or the $100, or I'm sorry, it starts at $50, $50 or $100 ticket to see one of the appearances, it asks you to pick a time, morning, evening, or afternoon, Uh, and not really sure exactly how that's going to work or how you're going to determine what person that you end up getting a ticket for. Um, I, you know, have no idea. But uh, if you're still interested, like I said, tickets are still available. Um, The only thing I've heard from the comments on the forum there are that uh, hotel rooms in the downtown area are pretty impossible to find right now Um, and not a whole lot of public transportation in the city, not a lot of cabs or anything else. So if you are planning on coming, uh, you might want to have to get that rental car. Um, all right. Uh, John Krasinski's smiley face goes direct to DVD. You may remember us mentioning last season that John Krasinski had a supporting role in a soon-to-be-released film called Smiley Face, a stoner comedy starring Anna Ferris. Well, for whatever reason... The studio has decided to skip theaters and go direct to DVD. Uh, Look for a release sometime in January 2008. Again, not really sure what happened here, whether the studio balked at the the stoner content or what have you, but the film had a lot of buzz, apparently, from Sundance last year, and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to kind of checking John out in a role that's very unlike Jim, unlike Krasinski himself. He was kind of a nerdy little um, sort of weirdo-looking guy with big thick glasses or whatever, so it was kind of interesting 
to check that out, but uh, look for the DVD in January. All right, this week, cast appearances. Angela Kinsey will be appearing on The David Letterman Show on Friday, October 5th. So set your DVRs. Next new episode, uh, Dunder Mifflin Infinity, October 4th, 2007. There's a new boss in town. Much to the dismay of Michael and many of the employees, Ryan returns to the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin to bring the company into the digital age. Angela is still upset about her cat. Remember, uh, again, the next three episodes are still one hour long, so again, set your timers appropriately. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, well, this is uh, posted by Amy on our blog page. This is in reference to our last episode, talking about Diversity Day. Uh, Amy says, uh, the deleted scenes from this episode show Jim giving Dwight a Dwight card to wear on his forehead. After Dwight finally figures out that Jim has made him wear the Dwight card, he storms out to steal Jim's sale. I was always sad that they weren't able to show this scene in the regular show because it explains so much. Um... You know, actually, I'm I'm glad that it was cut from the episode because definitely the way that the episode played, we ended up feeling much more sympathetic for Jim, and I think that was a better choice because if you know if 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 his uh, sale, you know, if he, if he had messed with Dwight and then his sale was lost because of that, obviously not much of a, of a sympathetic figure there. So I think they did the right thing in the episode. All right, this is posted by our old friend Martin Sang on uh, the blog page in regards to Fun Run. He says, not bad, and you can quote me on that. Maybe I just need to see it again to judge properly. I love how the camera crew was so pissed at Jim and Pam's secrecy and were fed up with them that they called them out with film footage. That's got to be a first. And I agree, and it's got to be a first that Martin Sang said not bad about an Office episode. All right, next uh, posted by Marcy on the blog page. So I thought it was really funny. What's funnier than a lot of season three? Love the shot of Jan crashed out in bed and Michael saying she probably wouldn't be up for a few more hours. A little more screen time for Meredith at a fairly high price was nice too. Kevin was priceless, I agree. He normally so clueless and he was just so onto them. Love that. Jim and Pam were adorable sneaking around. I did that for over a year with my boyfriend when we worked together. In a new classic Michael line, um, not I'm not superstitious, I'm just a little stitious. So, uh, yeah, I don't know about that line. It's kind of on the borderline for me between a little too goofy a little too, uh, and funny, but um, I don't know. Definitely, again, needs a shirt at the Cafe Press. All right, this is posted by Mathers Size on the blog, and he says, uh, The Jim and Pam Secrecy Act is a great way to solve the dilemma that Matt's been pointing out that shows Crash when Sam and Diane get together. This gives them a new game and keeps the tension up. Very smart writing. This also explains why Jim's What I Did This Summer was lame. He was hiding his uber excitement. Uh, it's funny how the documentary style makes the camera person another character in the show. You get to see a little personality through it. It seems that the camera operator is all about spotting secret love. 
Yes, indeed. And um, I'm not sure, like I said, whether I want to see that keep popping up or not, but definitely it, uh, you know, it was necessary, I think, in this first episode. And then lastly, posted by our friend Ian Levenstein, he says, much better premiere than season three. I'll say that much. The hour-long episode felt like two episodes that were jury-rigged into one. Literally screamed when PB and J said they were just friends at the beginning and screamed in joy when they finally kissed. Oh, Ian, you girly man, you. This will be a show that avoids the moonlighting curse. The Office can survive with Jim and Pam as a couple, as that's not just what the show is about. Looking forward to a great season as they started things off right here. And uh, I agree, a lot of uh, a lot of room for improvement here, so we will see what happens in the next season. All right, well, uh, that's going to about do it for us this week, folks. Join us around uh, the same time next week for episode 29, Dunder Mifflin Infinity. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com. And visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and help spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Check out Kevin's blog over at FratPackPodcast.com and subscribe to his podcast through his blog page or through iTunes. Music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to nbc.com slash the office during the week for more deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, and more. And I believe they are now offering full episode streams on their website. So if you missed it for whatever reason on Thursday, head on over there and check it out. Well, that's going to do it for us. As I said, um, the next three weeks, folks, we are going to be having three different guest hosts. Uh, tryouts, I guess. Um, you know, some of the people had submitted their uh, tryout tapes, their audition tapes to me over the summer. And uh, if you have also set in a tape and I haven't contacted you yet, just keep your shorts on because I'm sure I will be getting a hold of you soon. Mm-hmm.